Council House tonight. Camille and I have been going to um, physical therapy. Again, I'm impressed at the very practical way they solve problems and they have different suggestions for different kinds of imbalances and weaknesses. And I keep thinking, that's uh, a perfect sort of program for the spiritual life, too, that we should have uh, exercises and uh, you know, programs of action to help correct our imbalances and weaknesses, all such things. And I remember that some years ago, maybe seven years ago, I sketched out a sort of overview of what spiritual practice is in our tradition. And so I went searching for it, I found it, and uh, <clears throat> I thought I would share it with us tonight as a way of, first of all, just enlarging our view, because Perhaps, you know, we come here every week, and many weeks we're reading very deep and beautiful poetry. And personally, I think that's a beautiful way to learn, because it awakens imagination, true imagination. And it also gives us metaphors and images that begin to do their work all the way down to the deepest level of the subconscious. And people's perception is actually transformed through great mystical poetry and uh, through the wisdom teachings that come from the great Sufis. So that's one way to do it, but we're in this, we're like we're swimming in this deep, beautiful ocean and uh, then we come out of it and maybe we just remember in that ocean on Thursday night, but well, I don't know, what is, what is it? What is Sufism? Uh, people sometimes have a limited ability to articulate even to themselves what is going on. So I'm going to share this, talk a little bit about the seven main points here. when I hand out something like this, this is not the new dogma, this is not the absolute final word. You uh, might do it very differently. And we could also think of things that are left out. And we could also think of things that are expressed in a somewhat unusual way. Because sometimes I want to awaken a slightly different perspective on things that might seem already familiar or things that you think uh, are known to you. So we're actually going to jump to the middle of the page and I'm going to read through what are, I've called here reminders. This, this sort of encapsulates the seven points we're going to focus on. One, step through the door of presence. 
Two, awaken the power of intention. Three, overcome distraction and sustain attention. Four, escape the prison of the false self. Five, enter the ocean of remembrance. Six, express gratitude and awe. Seven, radiate blessing. Now, if we go to the top, we see in a way this is repeated. The very first point, entering into presence. Not much can happen until we do that. And to signify presence as the means to presence, I put down conscious breath. Of course, that's not the only thing, but if I had to sort of get something that's potent and in a way captures it, it's conscious breath. Just awaken awareness of your breath as a spiritual connection, uh, and instantly something has changed. You're much more alive, you're much more here, you're a little bit, you're more gathered in yourself. And then the result, I put down owning time. I know that's a slightly odd phrase, it sounds a little bit kind of like psychobabble, but actually it has a um, tradition in our uh, it has a respected place in our tradition because there is a phrase a very profound phrase called the Sahib Zaman the owner of the time which is also a synonym for the Mahdi uh, but that's not what I'm talking about the owner of the time is the one who um, is in a sense both the eat and then one step over, even al another odd phrase, the son of the moment, or the child of the moment. The Sufi is called the even al traditionally. The Sufi is the one who's living so much in the moment that everything is fresh. You're awake. You're present. You're not uh, living in a repetitious past. You're not living in anxiety or preoccupation with the future, you're here, the son, daughter, child of the moment, the Ibn Awakt. But the Sahib Zaman, the, the one who is the, the one who owns the time, um, is the master of time from outside of time. All of this also relates to the breath, relates to entering into presence. Um, that's just the first step. It's the first step and it's many steps too. So what an extraordinary thing just this one point is. And we're going to touch on seven points and then I'm going to suggest from now until Ramadan, which begins at the end of May, that you choose one of these for yourself as a focus for your your practice, your study, your um, reflection. You take what is a point that you think you would like to strengthen uh, and work with that.
conscious breath is, I mean, just, there have been great teachers of breath in the Sufi tradition. There have been people who taught only with the breath and made an art of that. Welcome, welcome. Because we can rhythm the breath, we can qualify the breath, we can also locate the breath. Those are three aspects of what we can do with the breath. And that's a whole science in itself. Let's not be distracted. Let's be here. Two, awakening intention. The means is reason. The result is overcoming distraction. And the key concept is himma. A very difficult to translate word. That's why I left it untranslated. It's a little bit like uh, intensive spiritual energy with the touch of aspiration and uh, a lot of stick-to-itiveness. So, awakening intention makes use of reason. One has to think a little bit. One has to even formulate an intention. Language can help with this. A well-chosen phrase can make all the difference. Um, and it, be, it leads to overcoming distraction because if a human being doesn't have an intention, we're just like, the, you know, like a straw in the wind. Whatever comes along blows us this way and that way. And maybe you want to go with the wind sometimes. That's okay. Let that be your intention. In our in Islamic Sufi tradition, there's so many aspects of intention that are built into the practice. As you saw tonight, before we did Salat, I said, we intend to pray the three rakats of Maghrib prayer. When you fast, you don't just wake up in the morning and sort of fast. You wake up in the morning and you express your intention to fast. And if you don't express that intention, if you just find yourself that you haven't eaten by till 4 p.m., that's not a fast. That's something else. Uh, so, when we can be intentional about the things we wish to be intentional about, something develops in the human being that, uh, uh, that can be used, that can help us to understand what our true priorities are and be true to those, and be true to our highest uh, realization. So all of this depends on intention, and it's enough to start with small, small intentions. You know, it could be something as simple as um, when I step into a room, I will step in with my right foot which was the Sunnah of the Prophet. Uh, certain aspects of the Prophet's Sunnah are also useful in building mindfulness as well as intention. He would enter with the right foot, leave with the left foot. When we enter Mevlana's Derga in Konya, 
we step over the threshold. Some people kiss the door, but we at least step over the threshold with the right foot. And when we leave, we leave with the left foot. Well, these are just ways of being mindful. But intention, to have an intention, especially a long-term, or uh, an intention of aspiration, is a way of being purposeful, a way of developing will, which is extremely important. There is no spiritual journey without will. In the end, the highest act of will is to let go of your will. But that's a very high stage. Um, nobody becomes willless without developing will, without being able to be intentional and to make conscious choices. So having an intention is a way of, first of all, noticing your distractions, noticing when you have abandoned your intention. Now that you have something to, you know, now that you have a reference point, intention is a reference point, now that you have that, you begin to notice all the ways that you're not intentional. These things are not meant to drive you crazy. You take it as a blessing. Three, sustaining awareness. The means is attention. The result, freedom from inner talking. Of course, not only that. I'm just taking one level of the experience. We're always talking to ourselves unconsciously. We're not sustaining awareness. If we are sustaining awareness, that inner talking will subside to some extent, and or it will become more um, intentional, more conscious. It's wonderful to think, even in a sense, you know, the high, one of the highest forms of talking within oneself is a doa, supplication. When you can talk to God, consciously and not be talking to yourself unconsciously complaining regretting resenting daydreaming when you can sustain awareness noticing the moment you wake up and you feel present and then what about the next moment and the next, and the one after that, and the breath after that, and the breath after that, and the breath after that. So as I said, the column that says results, those are just given as hints. Those are not absolutes. They're just an aspect, one aspect of it, but one that will hopefully help to, um, help to grasp what's going on, when a human being is able to sustain awareness. You can talk to yourself, it's alright, if you know you're talking to yourself. You can have some inner talking, inner reflection, it's really very useful sometimes. But when it's nothing but old tapes, you know, old recordings, old uh, 
complaints, or if-onlys, or what-ifs. What a useless life. What kind of life is that? It's not a noble life. It's not a life of compassion. Okay, four. Transcending self-interest. Well, that's a big one. And I put down sensation. What does he mean? I mean physical sensation. And the result, escaping the lies and traps of the false self. And the key concept is humility. You could say nothingness. Maybe it would be better. It's a very positive nothingness. Why sensation? Why is sensation a means of transcending self-interest? I'm sure we could add other means to that. But sensation is there because when we are grounded in an experience of being in our bodies, we get a perspective on the nafs that we get in no other way. For instance, somebody might ask, what can I do when, when I'm really in a, in a state of fear? How can I overcome fear? A moment of fear. Ground yourself in sensation. Or any other strong emotion that is inappropriate, destructive, Bring your attention, bring part of your attention into the realm of sensation of the body and something changes, something begins to balance. Eventually you begin to live that way more and more and as you do, the quality of the sensation in the body also changes. And you also will begin to notice that at times when when anxiety is reflected in the body. You notice it, and with conscious breath, perhaps with prayer, with zikr, uh, or with just bringing yourself into a very grounded sense of sensation in your feet, in your hands, letting the features of your face relax, letting your diaphragm expand, the body let go of tension then the body can be a support for presence rather than a distraction rather than a burden yes uh, a beautiful example of what you just said is when we're here and you say bring your attention let us bring our attention to our finest breath and often I notice, no matter what might be going on in my thoughts, hmm, the coolness at the tip of my nose, the, the warmth as the breath goes out, the curiosity of what, which breath is my finest breath. It just brings that 
that'll begin yes. that sensation and that attention. Yes, exactly. So that's already incorporated into our practice and what we do every week. We're making it a little bit more conscious. Thank you. So that's transcending self-interest. There's so much to be said about that, in fact. Um, the work with the nafs, putting the nafs in its place, teaching it to be a servant, uh, teaching it to play with its own attachments, you know, not, try, not spending your whole life trying to satisfy every whim of your nafs which, I mean, most people do and are frustrated and now and then they're forced into acceptance because not every desire is going to be attained. But to make that a practice, to make that a discipline of life, to uh, toy with your own novices, preoccupations, whims and desires, um, to toy with your own sense of self-importance, Not take to learn not to take yourself seriously. It's a big, big area of teaching. Huge. Um, in it, we find so, so many of the virtues. So much also from the beautiful example of teachings on character that come from our tradition, from the Prophet and his companions, and from the saints. Um, there's a saying we sometimes mention, which is uh, in one old classical Sufi text, the first chapter is, what is Sufism? And it's nothing but one-liners. It goes on for pages and pages. But one of the answers to what is Sufism is, Sufism is good character. However, religions have been, you know, cracking the whip and telling you to be good for thousands of years without much success. But on the mystical path, character is attained in a somewhat indirect way, not through moralizing, not through fear of punishment by the fires of hell, but through a much more inner process. and through love. Now, five, opening to remembrance. Zikr. Zikr Allah. The means of stillness. Well, that's already taking us pretty deep. You can do zikr without being still, of course. But if your zikr doesn't have some stillness in it, it's not very deep. And we should be deepening our zikr continually, deeper and deeper, into that stillness. And the result, transformation of the self and intimacy with God. And the key concept is love of God. Remembrance is always remembrance of Allah. And that remembrance is attained not through some mental discipline, primarily, <coughs> not through some force of will, but through love of God. 
love of that indefinable, almost unknowable being that in which we are sourced, which is our origin. A beloved that is incredibly sweet and generous. So that's opening to remembrance. Again, a big chapter in the Sufi book. In some ways the most important of all practices because uh, it is. It's the most complete and yet I hope you can see how everything that's pre got preceded this point is building toward it. It's an aspect of it. And from this point of opening to remembrance, you can go back and refine all those other points. Deepen, perfect those other points as well. And six, expressing gratitude and awe. Sound is the means. This is an unusual combination of points. The result is overcoming fear and overcoming presumption. Overcoming many things. And the key concept is creativity. I was taking a lot of freedom with number six. I was sort of playing around here. Okay, sound. Why is sound important? Sound is really important. As Remember, what we're looking at here is a, a sort of a sketch a program trying to uh, remind us of what our possibilities are, what we have to work with. A mystical teacher of singing that we know said when she came and did a singing workshop with us many years ago. She said, anyone who sings four, four hours a day cannot be depressed. <laughs> you know, And yet, some people are afraid to use their voices. It's built into the Sufi tradition. It's built into Islam. You can't be a Muslim without using your voice. In prayer, especially. You have to. But Sufis take it a big step further through the audible zikr, through singing elahis, um, through working with the divine names and the sound of the divine names. So I really encourage you um, to explore that if you're not already and if you are, explore it more. Work on sound, work on your voice. And I tied it to this very uh, interesting proposition, which is expressing gratitude and awe. You know, it's not just repetitively repeating some sound. Let it be with gratitude. Let it be with a sense of wonder. Uh, let it be with a sense of beauty. Sound is an incredible universe. And I put down the results. I could say so much more, but 
overcoming fear. Fears you don't even know you have. Um, many of us are blocked in more ways than we realize. Some people more blocked than others. Um, some very, very good people. Uh, I've known some very good, beautiful dervishes who are also blocked. not having the ability to um, take what's inside and bring it out. Part of that is, you can say, articulation. But it doesn't really matter how that you're articulate, that we are articulate. We're not trying to impress anybody with you know, uh, skillful rhetoric and uh, you know, subtle conceptualizations. You know, just an honest word. Just uh, bringing what's inside out. Um, and we at least have ilahis when we sing ilahis, and we we'll, must do that tonight, uh, and do it more often too. And maybe we can appreciate more why they are part of the tradition. It's such a beautiful part of Sufi tradition. human voice is unique. So I just think that's a really special thing to remember. Like, there might be someone who sounds kind of like you, but your voice, just like your you, your you is, there's no other, there's no other like that. And there hasn't been and there won't be. I think I read it in Hazrat and I Khan. Um, but that just, there's something about that for me, like, it, when we learn to lose our voices, like this, that uniqueness is calling out in a really innocent and beautiful way. It, it doesn't matter what it sounds like. And I, I feel like as, in this culture, we're, we're taught not to, uh, maybe especially women. I don't know, it was hard for me for a long time to use my own. But when I read yes, it, all of that. And our voices can change. And we should learn to hear our voices. Um, because that too tells something about our state. Um, notice how in Ramadan, how your voice changes. Very interesting. Wow. Singers know, professional singers know that they shouldn't eat before a concert. Um, they shouldn't uh, drink cold, especially icy cold drinks, if they want to have a voice. 
And then I know professional singers in Turkey who are told that they had to smoke a certain number of cigarettes a day for their voice. But we don't recommend that. <laughs> it's very to get a certain kind of like masculine, <laughs> you know, get a little texture in the voice. I'm just joking. But it's true. At the conservatory in Istanbul, singers had to smoke a few cigarettes <laughs> a day. used to. Not so many people smoke anymore in Turkey, thank God. So, sound, expressing gratitude and awe. It's also the fifth chakra, just as a reference point. And um, maybe I should have put it in the fifth instead of the sixth position. And the sound of you, who, who, who opens this up. So, if you're going to practice with sound, one really obvious choice would be who to get you started, for lots of reasons. But that you sound is opening this area. And this area physically is just a symbol of something which has to do with that channeling of creativity. That's why creativity is in concept here. This creativity is related to all of this. And we're, it, it, I talked about being blocked. Well, sound opens things up. And uh, you all find your creativity, your best creativity. And the final point, radiating blessing, means is love. The result, freedom from delusion and negativity, key concept, purity. So if you could conceive of yourself as a being who is here primarily to radiate blessing, that's your job. Okay? Everything else is preparing you for that. That's all you're here to do. You do the other things too, but don't miss number seven. You can activate number seven. Well, freedom from delusion and negativity. Well, delusion and negativity are really related, you know. Delusion is the state of losing touch with reality and spiraling deeper and deeper into your own negative subjectivity. Losing touch with what is real, which is the loss of love, because when you love, you cannot judge and blame in the same way. So this literally brings us toward, in the direction of reality, away from negativity. I'll give an example. What if we all began to live as if humanity was reconciled, as if we accept all religions. They are not in competition anymore. The religions themselves are not in competition. All of humanity is finished with 
all of that negativity that it's been that has been crippling it for so long. It's done. It's over. The mystic has to live this way. The mystic has to recognize this. To live as if that's already been accomplished, because in a way it has. In the real world, in Hak, And the Quran hints at it, you know. You know, we need where the Quran hints at it. All over the time, oh, it's very specific. Mustafa? I, I didn't hear what. He said, it's all over. And I said, no, it's specific. The question was, where does the, the Quran hint at the idea that there's nothing to find fault with. Like That's not what I'm thinking of. That's a good one. No, it says, look at, look, behold, do you see any fault? Doesn't the Quran, isn't there an ayat that says that? Can you see any fault in this? Did God make a mistake? Look up at the heavens. Look out at a forest. Look out at the oceans. Did God make any mistake? That refrain. Say it again in Arabic. Which of these uh, will you deny? That too. Yeah. I know humanity has got you know tons of plastic floating in the Pacific Ocean, etc., etc. Believe me, and we know. Um, that's what we have done by being out of alignment with divine will. By being out of alignment with divine will, we have produced certain results which are right in our face. That's also part of the perfection, right? Imagine if, if the results of our actions were not in our face. Would that be perfect? No, it would be perfect. But anyway, radiating blessing, freedom from delusion and negativity seeing things as they are, including the painful realities of our own heedlessness. So this was just one sketch of some of the categories of, of practice, and I titled it Coming into Alignment with God, which I think is a nice way to understand it. Because we do get out of balance, like, Sometimes my hips rotate. <laughs> you know, the vertebrae go off a little bit. You know, my neck hurts. My head hurts. Stuff like. <laughs>
That's in Surah Rahman. Yeah. Which of these of your Lord's blessings will you deny? But there's another. But the one I'm thinking of is is yet different. It's it's the one that basically says, you know, look at the heavens. Do you see? Can you find any fault in it? And by implication, looking at all of nature, looking at all the kingdoms, the mineral, the vegetable, the animal kingdom. Look the way at how it's all working together. Look at all. The, you go down to the deepest, uh, darkest part of the ocean shine a light there and you will see miracles of life that, you know, are as if they're the creations of the greatest artist. And, but there's nobody there to even see them. This is the universe. And just as there's that perfection in the world of biology, and physics, do you think there's any less perfection in the inner world of human spirit? Yes, I mean, we create distortions, we live in denial, we are heedless, we, we, uh, we do what we do, we're foolish, that's part of it too. Um, but that doesn't take away from the incredible lawfulness and order in the spiritual dimension. The perfection, the balance, the laws of karma, um, the laws of manifestation. Um, and even the, the laws of action through the mind and heart. This is a world as perfect, as lawful as anything in the biological, chemical, and physical realms. And the prophets, in their truth, were expressing this. Maybe the message has been distorted or misunderstood, but they were the voice of universal intellect trying to reveal to us what it is to be human and how to live a balanced, honorable life and beautiful life. So if we could each choose one of these and make it your task, your practice, in the coming weeks, it is now beginning of April, and then May will be here. And May will be a little dicey in terms of our... Camille will be here a lot of May. I will be in Asia for a few weeks, and in the Bahamas in the beginning. We'll keep things going. Any thoughts? Fury?
in the weird at the top of page maybe 47 or 49. Um, God says, nothing will come to you, but that it is from my will. And that um, helps me to look at the vagaries in my life, some of which I don't like, and know that it is perfect. And that um, if I don't like it, it's probably a really strong lesson for me to learn, and therefore mercy. We can get tangled up in discussions of free will and God's will, but the great saints, the ones that we trust, always come back to affirming free will. Because whatever's happening in terms of circumstances, how you choose to respond to it is left to your will. So it's not a completely deterministic universe. That's the one little bit of sort of guidance that I think we can rely on. You're free in your response to what is. You can curse it. You can complain about it. You can bless it. You can be grateful for it. You can be patient with it. You can ask how did this happen? How did this come about? I have a friend who's passed on now, but she would uh, make a song about it at the drop of a plastic bag. She'd pick it up and crochet it into a dress, and she'd say, Thank you, God, for my troubles. Thank you. Thank you for my troubles. And then she'd sing like a force of nature. And I was looking at these, that it's almost like a, if you've got, as we all do, get into some delusion and negativity or feeling all those dark sides of the nos, if you can go to the remembrance, and it's almost like a prescription uh, of entering at any one of these places that you need to, there's a bomb. That's the idea. The bomb is there. And Mevlana says, with one answer, God answers a thousand questions. With Vikra law, a thousand questions are answered. Thousand illnesses are remedied. It's almost as if we need a little, uh, to keep in balance, we need a certain energy. And when our, that level of spiritual energy falls below a certain level, then delusion, judgment, complaint, uncertainty, insecurity, things arise. Things We fall out of alignment 
with that alignment. Um, the word right and righteous come from that same meaning of being upright and aligned. It's the same in many languages, it's the same in, in Arabic. Kayum, Qiyam, the principle of being aligned and being, yeah, in alignment. And we get disorganized, we get imbalanced. And I'm relating this to zikr because zikr is, you can almost think of it as an electrical phenomenon. I mean, it has something like, it probably does have a subtle, you know, micro voltage, I believe it does, that is transmitted and that literally balances the organism and with it the soul. Because the soul is not unrelated to the, this organism, as long as we are in this body. And we're not always in it, but when we're in it, um, it does affect the soul. The soul and the body are interdependent. The nervous system, and which extends uh, throughout the, the whole of the body, is kept in harmony. through remembrance of God, which is also related to breath, which is also related to positive feelings. So all these things work together, and all of them contribute to our spiritual, mental, or physical health. And sometimes there are mysteries too to what people are called to suffer because we're not alone we're also part of a human reality a wider human reality